Let's come to the Lord in prayer before the message. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word you have given us. We ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you work in and through us so that Christ is glorified, so that our hearts are drawn ever closer to him that the gospel is proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are continuing our series, Joy in Times of Trouble. And last week, the theme was really about thankfulness. It was the thankfulness that Paul wrote about, and it just overflowed in his letter. It was thankfulness about in Christ, that his identity, Paul's identity is found in Christ Jesus. And it was thankfulness that we have for Christ Jesus, for what he has done. And we have thankfulness because of Christ Jesus, not only what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. Paul's letter just overflows with that thankfulness. And he had a very singular focus, a purpose in his life. When you take a look at all of his life, all of the letters in the New Testament, they just have that singular focus and singular purpose. And if you have a clear purpose or clear goal, it keeps you on track, doesn't it? I mean, no matter what the circumstances are, it allows you to navigate those times of trouble, those rough seas that we have. It keeps you on course. And you have to remember, what, uh, what did Paul have? The circumstances he had. Well, he was in prison, right? And we found that he was in Rome writing from prison and that ultimately he would be executed there. But even before then, we found out about the church in Philippi and the, the founding of the church in Philippi. And there was a lot of rejoicing because of people coming to faith. But he was also severely beaten and then put in jail in Philippi. But he doesn't focus on that, does he? He doesn't focus that in all, at, at that at all. He is rejoicing at what the Lord has done, what the Lord is doing, what the Lord will do. He rests firmly in the promises of God the Father through Christ Jesus. And because he has that assurance, and we talked about that last week, because he has that assurance, he rests and can rejoice. And the purpose that he has is found in Christ Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel. That's what carries him through. That's what carries him through this all. That's what gives him life. That's what gives him joy. And so the thankfulness overflows from that. And now this week, the, the, the theme, if you will, is about rejoicing, rejoicing in the purpose Rejoicing in the purpose of advancing the gospel, of proclaiming Christ, and living for Christ. And so that's our, road, uh, that's our roadmap for this morning. Advancing the gospel, proclaiming Christ, living for Christ. So let's jump right into the text this morning. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole 
imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So you've heard about, right, what happened with Paul at the church of Philippi. But there's even more context because he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that little phrase, that what has happened to me spans several years. And actually, you can find this account in Acts, starting in chapter 21, verse 17, going through the rest of Acts, through chapter 28. Now, that's a big section, right? I'm not going to read that whole section for you. But it does start off this way, that Paul is uh, he's arrested illegally in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, commentator uh, Warren Wearsby actually put a pretty concise summary together, so I'm just going to quote him. I thought that was a little easier. I, I'm taking all of those chapters in a couple of sentences here. The Jews thought he had desecrated their temple by bringing in Gentiles, 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 and the Romans thought he was an Egyptian renegade who was on their most wanted list. So Paul became the focal point of both political and religious plotting and remained a prisoner in Caesarea for two years. When he finally appealed to Caesar, which was the privilege of every Roman citizen, Paul was a Roman citizen, Paul was sent to Rome. In route, the ship was wrecked. And after three months on the island of Malta, he finally embarked for Rome and the trial he requested before Caesar. Now that's just a brief thumbnail sketch. So now, after more than two years, and there's a lot that happened during those two years, after two years, he's finally back in Rome and he is in prison. But I want to clarify this. So when I say prison, we often think dungeon-type prisons. And as a matter of fact, there were certain prisons that he was and would be in that were much more dungeon-like prisons. But in this case, he would have been under house arrest. Now, house arrest is not what we think of in today's life here there would have been a lot of housing or apartments in which prisoners were kept. I put a picture of the ruins of one that are still present for you. You can see that under online. But these, don't think condos by any means. I mean, uh, these were dangerous. They could collapse. There could be floods. There were fires. These were not luxury apartments by any means. And although Paul was a Roman citizen and could have a daily food allowance, he was still responsible for rent. He was responsible for his clothes and he took responsibility for his own food. So he was living off the charity of the church. Again, not luxury whatsoever. So that's what, where he would have been in one of these house arrest places. But there was more than that. So... He, while he was under arrest, Paul was guarded around the clock by soldiers of the elite Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard, the elite guards, there consisted about 9,000 of them. They were hand-picked soldiers who were given double pay, good pensions, special duties, but one of their non-special duties was 
guarding these prisoners around the clock. And so he would have been attached, Paul would have been attached by chains to one of these guards around the clock. Now, look, if you and I were in these certain circumstances like this, I bet we wouldn't feel very happy. I bet we wouldn't rejoice. Most of us would probably um, certainly be depressed, withdrawn, agitated, angry, fill in the emotion you have for yourself, thinking about yourself in that particular situation. But see, Paul looked at this particular situation in a different way. He said, well, look, if you do the math, by the way, the guards had six-hour shifts. So each 24-hour period, there were four guards that Paul could witness to. And so he took this opportunity to witness to the guards, to advance the gospel. It says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So all of the whole guard barracks, the praetorium, praetorium, and all of the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. By witnessing to all of these guards day in and day out, each guard could come to know Christ Jesus, could hear about him, about who he was, the Christ, the Messiah. They could hear about forgiveness of sin. And some of them even came to faith because of Paul's witnessing. And thus, he was known throughout the whole guard, the 9,000 guards he's talking about. And not only that, he would have been located very close to the political, the secular political power of Rome. So it's not just the guards, but then some of the leaders in Rome could have also heard about Jesus Christ, could have heard about the gospel. Now, we don't know how many guards, we don't know how many leaders came to faith, but Paul does end the letter of Philippians like this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now look, from an outside point of view, Paul's life would have looked like a failure. Here he was, a Jew, an Israelite, an Israelite of Israelites, now became a Christian, And now was in prison. So from one point of view, he was an utter failure. But Paul didn't see it that way. Paul didn't see it that way. He said that everything, everything that had happened in his life that had brought him to this place was for the sake of the gospel, for the advance of the gospel. And even if but one person came to know Christ Jesus, it would have been all worth it. Even if one person comes to the gospel, comes to saving faith, it's all worth it. That's the power of the gospel for him. Is that the power of the gospel for you? 
What if your whole life was just for the sake of the gospel? You know, in seminary, you have to write a lot of papers. And they have to be scholarly papers. Now, as much as people think I'm a scholar uh, or scholarly, I really have no desire to write scholarly papers, to do the academic work, because it's kind of academic work, almost for academic work's sake. I want to be able to take whatever that is and translate it so that people know Jesus. I mean, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? So uh, one final paper I had to write, we were given this as the subject. I'll read it to you. The biblical testimony to the inspiration and authority of Scripture and its consequent role in Christian life and ministry. (laughs) That was the subject of the paper on which we were to write. And I was like, oh, no, really? And I thought, I just don't want to write another academic paper. So I thought about this person in our family person who had struggled with faith greatly. And I thought, what if I write the paper like a letter? I could write it like a letter to this person. And so I did. And I gave it to him. And uh, he read it. Was it as helpful as I had wished? No. Did he know more about God's word, the truth of God's word, and, and who Jesus Christ is? Yes, a little bit more. I wish I could have done more, but it was offered to him in that respect. And as it turns out, it was not only for him, but I've given that paper to numerous people for well over 10 years now. And people have received benefit But as I was writing the paper, I thought, well, maybe all of my seminary experience, maybe everything is just because of this. And I had that thought in my head, maybe it's just for that. And you know, had it been just for that, I would have been happy. It would have been sufficient for me. So the question I have for you is this. What if your whole life was but for the advance of the gospel? What if your whole life was just for that? Maybe just that one person to know Christ Jesus. Now, look, I am not saying this by any means to lay a burden on you. To say that, oh, you got to quit everything and now you got to go full time in ministry. I'm not saying that at all, because if you hear that, it's just going to become more law. You know, Rick Warren, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And although good intentions It becomes more law. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And it just becomes this burden on you. But that's not what Paul had. He didn't have a purpose-driven life. He had a gospel-driven life. So what would it be like maybe to have a gospel-driven life? I mean, would you see the world differently? Would you see the circumstances in your life differently? Would you view the times that we're in now differently. Paul's whole life was for the advance of the gospel. And he had boldness as well, right? 
says this, and most of my, the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look, because Paul stood, stood so firmly in the gospel, he had boldness. Not because of who he was, but because of who Christ is. And because he had boldness, other people were encouraged. I bet there are people in your life who you would consider giants of faith who encourage you and help you to be bold. I know I have mine who encourage me and help me stand firm and be bold for the advance of the gospel. We all need people like that because boldness begets boldness. So here we are. We have rejoicing in the purpose of advancing the gospel and rejoicing in proclaiming Christ. Let's go on with our text. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. All right. So let me ask you, have you noticed that there are a number of preachers, teachers in our modern era here who seem to love adulation, that they, they thrive on the praise that they get? I mean, if you go to some of these uh, preachers' websites, because a lot of those preachers have personal websites, or even their church's website, I notice on some of them that their picture is really big and it is front and center throughout the entire website. As a matter of fact, you look through and I've looked and it's like, where's Jesus? You know, it's, it's really hard to find Jesus sometimes. Now, it doesn't mean that they're false teachers. It doesn't mean what they're teaching is heresy. But it does certainly raise a yellow, if not red flag, doesn't it? It does point to the lifting up of themselves and not Christ. And let me tell you, this is not new just for our age. This happened back in Paul's time too. So think about it. Paul's in prison in Rome and people are coming to see him. And as people know more about him and his boldness of, the, of faith, his reputation grows, so to speak. And some of the other preachers, some of the other teachers in the churches in Rome, their reputation probably would have gone down a little bit. And they wouldn't get the attention that they so desired. So they start preaching out of envy, out of jealousy. And by the way, it's important to note that Paul doesn't call them out for false teaching. So it's not that they're teaching false things. And by the way, Paul has no qualms at all about talking about false teachers. Just read 1 Corinthians. Just read Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So look, Paul, if they were teaching false things, he would have called them out. 
So it's not that. It's about an ego trip for these preachers. They're doing it by their own ego and in process putting down Paul a little bit. But there are other preachers. There are other preachers who are preaching out of the love for Christ Jesus. And they are doing it in sincerity. And by the way, when I, I talk about teaching, preaching lovingly the gospel, I don't want you to hear that they're just making, you know, gooey type messages, just feel good messages. No, the, the sense here is that they were standing in defense, striving side by side for the defense of the gospel, which is hard to do, by the way, because the gospel is offensive. The gospel says that you're a sinner and you need a savior. And the savior is Christ Jesus. And there is salvation only in him and him alone. They were preaching, proclaiming Christ and his gospel. Now, by the way, Paul could have easily pitted pitted these two uh, opposing type preachers against each other, right? He could have made a big deal about it. But he doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's not about Paul's ego. He doesn't have a, a, a bone to pick. Nah, he says none of that. He basically says, who cares? He says, what then? Who cares, right? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Look, as long as they aren't teaching or preaching false doctrine, he says, who cares? The important thing is Christ and the gospel is proclaimed. The main thing is that the main thing is the main thing. I even thought about making that the message, uh, the title of the message, but I thought that'd be a little hard today. The main thing is the main thing is the main thing. And what's the main thing? Christ Jesus and his gospel proclaimed is the main thing. See, online, I'm in various Facebook groups, and one person posted, what's the greatest difficulty the church will face in 2020? And a lot of people were listing the virus, people not coming back to church, all the social unrest, the protests, the racial divide that there is, everything of that. And I said... Keeping Christ Jesus and the gospel first and foremost. I think that is the biggest challenge, and it has continued to be the biggest challenge throughout the church's history. Look, some of those preachers who are preaching on envy, here's the problem. In our churches today, we start to follow the pastor or preacher. And when that pastor or preacher falls or fails or somehow human, then people lose their faith because they're following that pastor or preacher rather than Christ Jesus. This has been the problem in many churches today. This is not a new problem. It has been a problem since Paul's time as well. I mentioned 1 Corinthians For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. 
What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Again, Paul says, it's not about me. It's not about that other pastor or preacher or teacher. It is about Christ Jesus. And for us, the rejoicing we have in the church is that Jesus is front and center and that he is proclaimed. If we lose that, we should grieve and mourn. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, uh, said this to any aspiring preacher. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour. No Christ in your sermon, sir, then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Look, Paul was in prison. Paul was in times of trouble, but he was, dare I say, happy. He was filled with joy because the purpose of Christ being proclaimed was being fulfilled. Rejoicing the purpose of advancing the gospel, rejoicing in the purpose of proclaiming Christ, and now rejoicing in living for Christ. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Pastor and commentator Kent Hughes talked about the passing of a beloved physician who was also the elder at his church for many, many years. So the man, uh, during this time frame, he had to go to the hospital and get a, a stint cleared in his heart. And this was before all the time of the, all the non-invasive surgery. And the procedure at that time was very invasive. And uh, after a long time, the surgeon came out and he said, there's too much bleeding. I can't finish. You better go in and say your last goodbyes. So the distraught family gathered around to the bedside of this man. His name was Andrew. And he made this little motion with his finger, and they couldn't quite figure it out for a while, but they understood that he wanted to write something. Now, he hadn't been able to write in a straight line for a while, but they gave him a paper and pen, And very slowly, but intensely, he wrote 12 words in a single column. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And then at the very bottom, 
he wrote, and it took him a full minute to write this, hallelujah. And then he said, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is perhaps one of the most well-known verses in Philippians. But what does that mean, really? I mean, was Paul writing about some sort of death wish that he had? No, not by any means. Take a look, it's starting verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What he's saying is that when he want, that, that as long as he lives, as long as he has breath, he is a servant of Christ Jesus. And the fruitful labor that he is giving is of sharing the gospel message, of, making, of being a disciple and making disciples. This was his purpose. This was his joy. And so he had joy in all of this. And yet, and yet, to be with Christ Jesus at his throne, what greater joy could there ever be? So he's hard-pressed between these two. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are some times, some days, where, where I just say, oh man, Jesus, I, I'd love to just be home with you. I mean, do you ever have days like that? Where you're kind of tired, you're beaten down, and you're just like, I just want to be home. I want to be in your embrace. I just want to be so close to you in the joy of your presence. And yet, Christ Jesus has given us work to do here. And so we have fruitful labor here until he calls us home. And we are to be his servant, to do his will throughout all of this. Paul's convinced of this. Verse 25 says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, as long as he's here, you will see Christ Jesus working through me. And again and again, don't point to me for glory, but just know that Christ Jesus is working for me. And thus, Paul points back to Christ and his glory. I wonder, I wonder if you could say with Paul, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then as, could you, as the man, Andrew, who passed away, could you put your hallelujah at the end of that? 
Look, there is so much more we could have covered this morning. This is so rich. And yet within the time, this is what we cover. It is about rejoicing, isn't it? It is about rejoicing. Rejoicing in the purpose of advancing the gospel, proclaiming Christ, and living for Christ. So, a couple questions for you this morning. How do these verses that we covered today shape and cha- change and shape who you are? How do these verses that we covered today help you deal with the circumstances you're in right now? That you see the work before you. How do these verses today change, shape how you rejoice? For we do rejoice. And we thank Jesus for the greatest gift he has given us. And to that, we all say, amen and hallelujah.